Okay, great. So we're going to start on page Kufchaf Aleph, which is probably around the sixth page or so of the handout. And the shear is sponsored by Esther Weiner, as is a chus for the Fuish Lema for Esther Bas Charna, the Soksha Archola Yisrael. So page Kufchaf Aleph on the top of the page where it says, V'hakas hashlishis. And I think it's about five or six pages in to the photocopy. Now, is that, about, is that right? V'hakas hashlishis, you got it there? Now the last, we, last week we spoke about in pertaining to the words of the Chachamim that are Agadita type teachings or Midrash teachings that the Raman brings two groups who do not understand their words properly. The first group were, you might say, very simple people, not educated, who would take everything that the Chachamim said in words of Agadita as being literal even the things that were clearly not so. And the Rambam describes that group and criticizes them because he says they actually diminish the stature of the Chachamim by bringing them down to their own level of understanding, which was not great. Then there's a second group which also understands the words of the Chachamim literally, exactly on face value. And again, we're not talking about halachic words of the Chachamim. That is meant to be literal. And they say about these words of Midrash or Agadita that yes, it means exactly what it says, and we disagree with the Chachamim about that. And you could see that they didn't know what they were talking about to say such a thing. So the Rambam says, of course, the second group is worse than the first. At least the first group has a proper respect for the Chachamim, even though they don't understand their words properly. The second group does not have the proper kavod for the Chachamim. Now, this week we're going to see the Kas Shalishis, which is the third group. So, on top of the page there, Kuf Chaf Aleph, Vakas HaShlishish, Vehem Chai Hashem, the third group, and they are literally by the life of Hashem. It's a way of saying something in a very emphatic way. Ma'atim ad ma'od. They're very, they're very small in number, this third group. Ad she'en ro'i likrosam kas. So small that you can't even call them a group, really. They're too small to be called a group. Ela kemoshe ye'omer la'ashem eshmin. But similarly, some people call the sun mean, which means a category. But it's not a category. Varaki yechida, it's just one thing, the sun. So we're going to call it a category of people, but it's a very small group of people, at least in the time of the Rambam. These are people who understood very clearly the greatness of our Chachamim. They got it. The Tov Sichlam, and they had an appreciation for the high intelligence of Chazal. In that they have seen the words of the Chachamim in general are so true and they ring so true. And even though when it comes to certain subjects that the Chachamim speak about, you can find them only in, only in scattered places here and there. It's not all in one place. But nonetheless, all of these words refer to the great shlemus of the Chachamim. And that they truly understood the truth. And it's also clear to this third group of people that the Chachamim were very precise and aware, Meniyus Hanimna, that which is impossible to be, that which cannot be, 
and that which must be. So in other words, the other two groups, when the Chachamim would say something in their words that seemed to be impossible, then these first two groups would take that literally and say, oh, you know, that's exactly what they mean, but it's not what they meant. So the Rambam is saying that this third group, they understand very well that that which is impossible is impossible. That which cannot be, cannot be. And that which must be, must. V'yodu, and they understand, kihem aleim hashalom enum midabrim hatulim. And the words of the Chachamim are not in any way foolishness, God forbid. V'nis ameslahem, and who's a very key point about this third group, which the other two groups don't have. It's true and clear to the third group. That the words of the Chachamim have a revealed meaning and a concealed, hidden meaning. And they realize that the Chachamim have deeper intentions in their words. And it's much more than what is stated on the surface. So there's a nigla and there's a nister, a hidden, I'm sorry, a revealed and a hidden. And when the Chachamim talk about something which is impossible, like they state something which is not possible. I mentioned last week one example, the Midrash that Avram Avinu had a jewel around his neck and he hung it up on the sun. Right, so that's not possible. So when the Chachamim are saying things like that that are clearly not physically possible, they understand that the words of the Chachamim are riddles. A chida is a riddle. And a mashal is a metaphor. They get it, that this is a metaphor. There's something deeper that needs to be understood in these words that on the surface don't really make sense. Now the Rambam is going to take us a little further and he says, this is the way of wise people. That wise people will often speak in metaphors. And they do so intentionally. Ulafichach, and therefore, Pasach Sifro Gedol HaChachamim Bo'amar, the wisest of all men, Shlomo HaMelech, he begins his book, one of his books, and what does he say? Lahavin Mashal Umelitza, to understand a mashal a melitza, an analogy, a metaphor. Divrei chachamim v'chidosan. The words of the chachamim and their riddles. So Shlomo HaMelech comes right out and says it in Mishle that I'm going to be speaking here in riddles. The whole book, the whole Sefer Mishle is one big metaphor for very, very deep things. V'yaduahu eitzol ba'alei halashan now, the Rambam says, what's this word, chida? Ki chida hu hadover shahamuchuvan bo banister. A chida is something which is said, and the intention is meant to be behind the scenes. It's meant to be hidden. You're saying it in such a way that you are intentionally putting a cover on a deeper concept. That's what we call a riddle in English, or a metaphor. Lo benigla mimenu. And the real intention of the statement is not the revealed, open part of the statement. Kamosha Amarth, brings for an example, this is with Shimshon in the Navi, in Shoftim. And he says to a group of people, Ochuda no lachem chida, I'm going to tell you a riddle. And he tells them this following riddle. He says, if I win this riddle, then you owe me a certain amount of sheets and clothing. And if you win, then I owe you a certain amount of sheets and clothing. And he tells them this riddle. So all the, the reason the Rambam is bringing this is to tell us that the word chida means you're saying something, but something deeper is inside. It's like the word mashal. Lefi shedivrei hachachamim kulam bidavorim ha'oyoni. Because when the Chachamim speak, they're talking about very lofty ideas and very lofty concepts. Shehem hatachlis. 
And those high, lofty matters are the true intention of what the Chachamim mean. Amnam heim umashal, but they are a riddle and a metaphor. He says, and how can we hold them guilty, culpable for speaking in riddles? In other words, we could say, well, don't speak in riddles, just say, say it straight out, right? Don't tell me the mushal, just tell me what's inside the mushal. Why are you doing that? So Ramam says, no, no, it's important to speak in that way. We can't make them culpable for speaking in that way. Even though that what they're saying in the eyes of the masses becomes belittled because the masses don't understand their words properly. He says, hold on a second. Shlomo HaMelech, he wrote his books, Beruach HaKodesh, like any other book in, in Tanakh. So Mishlei and Megillus Esther and Tehillim and Eov and Yeshai and Yirmiyahu, they're all words of the Nevi'im. Shlom HaMelech is speaking in Mishalim in a Ruach HaKodesh fashion. It's coming from a high place. Ritzoni Lamar, meaning Shlomo b'Mishlei v'Shir Hashirim u'b'Miksas Kohelas. When Shlom HaMelech writes Mishle, and he writes Shir Hashirim, which is a metaphor for Hashem's love for the Jewish people, and back and back and forth. And some of Kohelis. Kohelis is a, is a very hard safer. So some of Kohelis, he says, is metaphor. That's kind of an intriguing phrase to me, some of it. It shouldn't be hard for us that we have to explain what their words mean, even though we're not explaining them according to the pshat of the words, that shouldn't be hard for us to do, or to realize that we have to do that. So that their words will be fitting for those of intelligence, and they'll be true, and consistent with the words of the Nevi'im of Tanakh. Now the Rambam is going to say something which you brought up last week. The question was raised last week that are there words in the Torah or in Tanakh which are also mashal, are, those, are all those stories absolutely true? So my response to you last week is that all those stories are absolutely true. We, when we read about B'nai Yisrael and creation and Bereshis, etc., everything they said is absolutely true. And at the same time, there are m- metaphors, deeper ideas within those same stories. But the stories are emes. Now the Rambam is going to lead us to a part of Tanakh where the psukim themselves are metaphors. And as I said last week as well, you have to have a misora for that. If the Chachamim tell you, oh yeah, that Pasuk is a, a mashal, then we know, according to Torah Shabbat that that Pasuk is a mashal. But if I don't understand a Pasuk in Tanakh, and I say, well, I don't understand that, that must be a mashal, right? No, we can't do that. We have to look at the guidance of our Chachamim as to how they explain it. So he's going to bring a few examples from Divri Hayamim, the Chachamim themselves hold with certain Pesukim in Nevim and Ksuvim. And they tell us that these words do not mean what they seem to mean. And don't they also say that these words are a mashal? The MS, and that is true. Kamoshonumos, and I'm just going to give a few examples. We're not going to get into what these psukim allude to, it would really take too long, but a few examples. As we find, Sha'amru Beperush HaPasuk. The Chachamim say that there's a Pasuk in Divri Hayyamim. It's talking about Binoyahu Ben Yehoyada, and it says, Hu Hika 
that he smote the two leaders of Moab. The Chachamim say that that Pasuk is a Mashal. That the words as they're described are not as what they mean. Benoyahu smote two kings of Moab doesn't mean that. Shahukula Mashal. And the Pasuk is a Mashal. And a lot of Dirihayamim, by the way, is considered to be a Mashal because they talk about the history of one generation to the other. And you can see on the face of it that a lot of it is not so. So how can he be the son of so-and-so, the daughter of so-and-so, or the grandson of so-and-so? Well, we know he's not. So the Chacham say, that's a mashal. <coughs> These words are mashal, and they refer to deeper concepts in Divrei Hayami. B'chein Ma'ashinamar, similarly, also from Divrei Hayami, which is Kesuvim, Yorad v'hiko eso ari chabor that he went down and he killed a lion in the middle of a pit. That statement, the Chachamim say, is a mashal. Not that it couldn't be literal, someone could kill a lion in a pit, but that particular pasuk in Divrayamim, the Chachamim say, is a mashal. V'chein, similarly, mi ashkeni ma'im yibor beis lechem. This is a quote in Divrayamim about David HaMelech who was out with his soldiers, and he was very thirsty, and he said, who will bring me water from the boar, from the well, or the cistern, in Beis Lechem? And the Chachamim say, that's a mashal. It's referring to something deeper. Usha'ar ha-sipur kulo mashal. That whole story with David HaMelech, some of his men heard that he was parched, he was thirsty, he wanted water from this place in Beis Lechem, Three of his men went out. They endangered their lives to go into that city. They got water for David HaMelech. He wouldn't drink it. He said, you endangered your lives to get this water. This water is not good to drink. You put your lives on the line for this water. I can't drink this water. So the Chachamim say that whole story is a mashal. That's what they say. The Chain Sefer Iov Bichlalo Amru Kitsasam Mashal Haya. And there's even an opinion in the Gemara that the entire book of Eov never happened. That the whole book is a mashal. It's an opinion amongst the Chachamim. The low perishu le'ezadavar who sends out mashal, but they never explain for what reason they said this mashal. Sefer Eov is very hard. So we have examples. Now, not all of the Chachamim agree with that. Some of the Chachamim don't agree that Sefer Yiv is a mashal. And they even asked who he was and when he lived and things like that. Some say he lived in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu. So they have two opinions. But Lamai said there is an opinion amongst the Chachamim that that whole book is a mashal. Now we can't say, we have to be so careful with this, we can't say, well maybe Bereshis is too, right? right? We, we cannot say that. If the Chachamim said, well, some of Bereshis is a mashal, then we could say, okay, but they don't. And that's why these comments have to really be understood very precisely. Wherever they said, these Pesukim in Divri Hayamim, or the Book of Eov, according to one opinion, okay, now we know the Torah Sheba Al-Peh, what the Chachamim have to say about that, but we cannot take that any further than they did. That's Mesorah. V'chein meisei yechezko, and also you probably have heard this before, that when it came to the famous story, the Valley of the Dry Bones, Yechezko Hanavi, saw this valley and all the bones came to life, and there was tchiyas hameisim. According to one opinion, Amru Kitsasam, one opinion amongst the Chachamim, Mashal Hoya, that whole story was a Mashal never happened. That those bones did not really come back to life, it's a lesson, it's a teaching. Varabim Ko'ila and other examples as well. Now, not all of the Chachamim agree with that either. It's a machlokas. Some say it was true exactly as it's written, that they came back to life, as Mamish Tchiyas and some say it wasn't. But once again, we only can take the instructions of Chazal as to what is and what isn't. We can't make these things up on our own. And what the Rambam's point here is that it's perfectly valid, acceptable, and historically, meaning Torah historically, done to speak B'derech Mashal. So when the Chachamim, as wise people, chose to give over lessons 
through Mishalim and Melitzos and Chidos, they were following the authentic path of the Torah, and even some of the books in Ksuvim, and even in Nevim, in Sefer Yecheskel. So that path is okay. Not only is it okay, it's a preferred path because many deep things can't be given over by saying them literally. You have to say them, Aderach Mashal, and then people who are wise will penetrate the Mashal and they understand it. They weren't looking to hand it over on a silver platter. The Chachamim were not trying to do that when it came to their words of Midrash and Agadita. They were teaching deep lessons and they clothed the deep lessons inside of many, many garments. And if you could get through to it, great. If you couldn't, okay, at least you tried. But that's how, that was their mahalach. Now the Rambam says that is the kas hashlishis. That's the third group. They understand what the Chachamim are trying to do. They may not always understand what the Chachamim are saying, and they'll admit that, but they do know that there are deeper intentions in the words of our Chazal, the ones that we're talking about. Okay, any questions or comments to this point? It's very deep. Yes, it is. That is it is very, very deep, right? And it's intentionally deep. I'll give you an example in much more current times, right? The earlier Hasidish forum are very hard. They're very hard to learn. And that was intentional. The, the great Rebbe's who wrote that, or whose Talmudim wrote that, they were not trying to just hand it over and say, here it is. They were saying, work on it. I'm going to give you five different ideas. Here are the ideas. Okay, now you have to put it together. Work on it. That's what they wanted to do. They were not anxious to give over lofty ideas when the ideas would not be worked for. They wanted them to be worked for. Now, you have, in our times, you have certain firm that are written quite differently. And a good example of that is the Nesiva Shalom. The Nesiva Shalom, the Slonim Rebbe, who passed away about 25 years ago, so he took a total change, you know, of course, regarding a Hasidic Sefer, his book, the Nesiva Shalom. And he wrote a Sefer on Hasidic concepts in very clear contemporary Hebrew. It's organized, it's long, it's elaborate. He takes an idea and he talks about it extensively. He felt in our times people need that. You could take a Nesiva Shalom, which is, let's say, two pages long, if the Svasemus would have written that same idea, he would have written it in five lines. <clears throat> because that was his era. Like, this is how I'm going to present it. But the Son of held that, you know, we need it to be a little more accessible for our time. Okay, so he made that choice with intention. And his books have become widely learned, both amongst Hasidic circles and yeshiva circles. A lot of people, many people in Kla Yisrael learned the Nesiva Shalmi. He hit on something. Now that takes a great person to realize that, okay, we need to make a little shift here. And making it accessible, but at the same time not bringing down the level of the material, of the, of the thought behind it. That's not easy to do. Now he did that. And some of the Nesiva Shalom is very deep and very hard to understand. But as a safer, that wasn't his intention. He was trying to bring out the ideas in a way where people could access it more so, people of our times. That was not so much the inter interest of earlier swarm. Go on, yeah, please. They wanted, they wanted the people who were learning those books to really work on the idea and try very hard to understand it. They, they were not trying to spoon feed. They did not think that was a good thing. Too easy. And if you don't work for an idea, you don't really own it. So those who work for it, understand it, struggle to get it, crack the shell, get to the deeper, then you own it. That's what they wanted. Yeah. It's a challenging thing. Please, Mrs. Fran, yeah. There was no idea that they wanted to 
Are you saying they, they didn't want to cause problems? They did want to cause problems. No, they didn't. That's why they oh. wrote it as a matter to... I, I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. And a side yeah. question. Yeah. <coughs> Weinberg, Satsal's great-grandfather, grandfather was supposed to be... So what yeah. happened? In terms of? He was supposed to be the rebel. Oh, I don't know the story behind it. I'd be t- behind... That was... He said last night, was it, was it his great-grandfather, grandfather, or uncle? Yeah, because Rav Weinberg, there's a beautiful video about him last night, which was just awesome, um, comes from the family of Slonimer Hasid, and Slonimer Rebbe's is his mishpacha. So someone was in line to become the Rebbe, but I don't know the story. I know there are many people here who do in Baltimore who, who knew the Rosh Hashiva. I knew him, but not in that way. So I don't know how that, how that occurred. Yeah. I, it was interesting. One time, the Rosh Hashiva, that's all, Rav Weinberg, was in our shul for a bris, and it was uh, about five minutes before the bris started, and he, and he was waiting. So I saw him go over to the bookshelf, and he was looking at this from me, and he took out a Slonimer Sefer. <laughs> he took out the Nesiva Shalom while he was waiting. I said, oh, that, that makes sense, right? You know? <laughs> Gail, you had a hand up? Huh? Yeah, yeah. A small group. I think that changed. I think that in our time, this third group, again, amongst, let's say, Torah Judaism, is a very large group. We, we understand this point. Yeah, more educated. We understand this point, that the Chachamim are speaking in riddles and Mishon. That's not really a Chiddush to us. Of course they are. We know that they're talking about deeper things. Now, maybe that has to do with their time in history. They were a highly intellectual Aristotelian society among some groups, and then other very uneducated, poorly educated masses of people. You have these two extremes. Now, you know, most of Torah Jews have an education and have a, a pretty decent education, a good education, both men and women. So this idea of mushal chida for us is almost um, just part of the program. We, we understand that. This is what the Chachamim were doing. Yeah. Okay. Sure, someone, Jody, yeah, please. It's a very good point. So let me bring that out a little bit. Right? Jody is saying, really, the world is created that, well, that way, and it is. So you have a goof, human being, body, revealed, and a shama, hidden. In the Torah, you have the Torah Shebisad, the written Torah, revealed. Torah Shebaalpeh, hidden. For a few thousand years, you were not even allowed to write it down. Until Rabbi Yehuda Nasi changed that. The Sodos HaTorah, secrets of the Torah, never, never revealed. Even the Zohar, which is, has them in writing, there's still a secret. One doesn't read the Zohar and then understand secrets of the Torah. They're hidden in the Zohar somewhere. That's where they are. So there's hidden Torah, there's revealed Torah. Torah Shebisav, Torah Shebaalpeh. And then you also have the idea of Hashem's physical world, the universe that we live in. And behind the scenes, in a hidden way, is Hashem. He's operating in this physical universe in a way where he's disguised, but he's present. So, as Jody said, the whole universe is created along these principles of nigla v'nister, hidden and revealed. Everything is like that. People, time, place. And that runs through all of our... um, Machshavah, you know, as Jews. So we, that's how we relate to the world. Thank you. Excellent. Anybody else? Okay, we'll go a little further. Next paragraph. V'im And if you, the one who was reading this book, right, now he's speaking to his readership. Me'achas mishte kitos harishonos. If you are one of the first two groups, right, that you think everything the Chachamim said in Agadita, 
in Midrash is exactly literal. Al tashkiach b'udavarai. Don't pay attention to anything I'm saying. <laughs> he knows his customers, right? He knows it's a losing battle. <laughs> Don't even pay attention to one word I'm saying. Because you're not going to like what I say. Not even one thing that I say you're going to like. It will harm you. And you will despise my words. That's straight, lush, like he knew who he was talking to. Now, now he, he gives a little example. How could food, which is light, is easily digestible, very good in its quality, some high-quality nutritional food, how could that food be good to a person who's used to eating very heavy, bad food? The Rambam's language for what we call junk food, right? So if you have a person who's used to keeping a very poor diet and you give them nice, refined, meaning nutritionally refined, lighter foods, they won't like it. They're used to the cake with the frosting. Like, look at me this stuff. They'll actually harm him. He's not used to it. And he will hate that food. <laughs> so he takes us back to the Dor HaMidbar and he says, take a look at this group of people, us, Klal Yisrael, and what do we eat back in Mitzrayim? We ate onions and garlic and fish. And now they had to eat man. So what did we say? V'nafshenu balechem we despise this light, airy food. There were monks, Claude Yisrael, who complained about them. Well, we complain about all the, the food all the time, right? That's just, what, that's just what we do, right? So you know the story about the waiter at a Hadassah convention. He came over to the ladies at the table. He says, hi, ladies, is anything all right? <laughs> so, so, you know, we have a history of complaining about food. So anyway, we had people there who were used to their heavy food, heavier foods in Mitzrayim. Not that we had the best diet, we were slaves in Mitzrayim, but we were used to regular food. Now they have mun, and mun is a completely different kind of food. It was a almost spiritual food. Lechamin hashamayim. So there were those who complained about it. I want to bite into my food. I want to taste that food. Lun was klokel. It was light. It's like the word kal. So the Rambam says, it's like that. I'm gonna, if you're in the first two groups, you're not going to like what I say. It's not going to fit what you think. You're going to despise what I say. However, if you're in the third group of people who understands that the Chachamim speak in riddles and metaphor, and you see something that the Chachamim say, Again, in the Midrashic context, which is completely remote from any way of understanding it. Ta'amod v'tisbonenbo. So you will stand now, and now you're going to reflect on these words, because you know there's something deeper there. shohu chida umashal. And you know that this is a riddle and a metaphor. You understand that. So take the time and try and think about what are they really saying? The tishkav ashuk halev. And lie down for a while with this thought on your mind, meaning it should be on your mind. What are they saying? Like I was referring to before, they want us to be thinking about this. They want us to strive to try and get through to the deeper meaning. Uterud harayon. Have your mind, rayon means ideas, caught up in this to be involved, b'chiburo, with how the Chachamim wrote it, u'bisvaraso, and what they meant when they said it. V'tachshov limso kavonas ha'seichel ve'emunas ha'yosher, and try and find within that 
the deep intelligence and the yashrus, which is in their words. Kamoshanem, or as it says in Koheles, limtso divrei chefetz, to find words that are desirable. Bekasu v'yosher divrei emes, and as it says, the uprightness of words of truth. V'oz tistakel b'sif Then, if you're taking that approach, the third one, now you can look in my book, and you'll probably like what I have to say. And it will help you if you take that approach. So it needs reflection and it needs hard work and it needs contemplation. It's not easy. They're trying to say something here which is deep and we need to take the try- time to try and figure it out. And I want to even make sure we understand even further. Most of the time when it comes to these words, we're not going to be able to figure it out. It's too deep for us. The Chachamim are talking on a different level. And when, what we need to do is look at the Meforshim and see what do they tell us that the Chachamim are talking about. So I mentioned last week the Maharsha. That was his whole Tachlis in his Chidushe Agados. The Maharal of Prague has a whole book on what Agados mean, how to understand them. And the, the famous Sefer, the Ein Yaakov, they tell us some of the messages behind these riddle-like stories or qualities that the Chachamim give over. So we're really not able to do this. What the Rambam says here, that just think about it until you understand it well, that's beyond us. We have to really take the cue from the Meforshim of the Gomorrah and the Agadita in order to understand the words properly. Then we can say, okay, I can see a deeper message inside of here. But we know that it's there. And that's the Rambam is saying, uh, my words will help you if you take that path. Okay. Now we're going to go on to the next point. Rambam is going to take a start to venture into, after I think our fourth or fifth week, yeah. into the, his concept of Olam Haba, mm-hmm. which is ultimately what you know, we're trying to get to. This was all background to try and bring us to the right place, right? <laughs> Okay, Gimel, I'm sorry, I can't see the clock. Does somebody tell me what time it is there? 10 11. Okay, thank you. Now I will begin. To speak about that which I really wanted to speak about. <laughs> we got there. Heavy Odea, you should know. Just as a blind person will not be able to perceive color. And a deaf person cannot perceive sound. And a person who is castrated cannot understand the pleasure of sexual relations. So too, the human body, the physical body, cannot perceive spiritual pleasure. Those profound words of the Rama. So he says, a person who's blind can't see color, can't understand, can't perceive color. person who's deaf can't understand sound. So a person who is physical and trying to grasp spiritual pleasure, it's beyond us. So a tanug nafshi, we talk about it a lot, right? Okay, and yet we can't understand it, right? That's, that's a very good point, because we have to know that it's there. And we have words to describe it, closeness to Hashem, uh, oneg, devekus. So, as always, those are words that are referring to something higher and greater than we are. But it helps. So, yeah, I can't understand what that means to exist in Olam Haba and what that spiritual pleasure is. But I'm glad I know that there's such a thing as that. We're not blind to the fact that it is. We just don't know what it is. We can't comprehend it. So we have our terminology for it. So his premise is, a physical being cannot understand spiritual pleasure. Ukemosha hadogim enam yodim yisod ho'esh. Just like fish are not familiar 
with the element of heat, of fire, in the world, because they live in water. Because the very medium of their life is the exact opposite of fire. It's water. They live in water. They can't grasp fire. So too, we who inhabit this physical world cannot comprehend the pleasure of the spiritual world of Olam Haba. So the very first thing he tells us about Olam Haba is that, guess what, folks? We don't understand it. Right? It's beyond us. But he's also telling us something about it. It's spiritual oneg. So he's telling us we know what it is, spiritual oneg, but we don't relate to spiritual oneg. It's outside of our experience and our comprehension. Avot. Ein etzleinu b'shum panim. For us, who live in the physical world, we don't have ta'anug zulasi ta'anug haguf bilvad. We are only familiar with physical pleasure. That's what we know. Vahasogas hachushim, and that which our senses comprehend, experience, min food, vahamishte, and drink, vahamishkol, and relations, marital relations. Any tainu, which is beyond these things, we can't grasp it. We don't even recognize it. We cannot grasp it, certainly, at first glance, with the first thought. It takes a tremendous amount of hakira, investigation, thought, deep thinking, to start to even think about what this means. And this is perfectly appropriate in the way that it's supposed to be. We here, we live in the physical world. Now listen to what the Ramam is saying. He's introduced another idea now. That's the word he just added. We perceive periodic pleasure, meaning ever, every pleasure that we have in our world, it ends. The food tastes good, five minutes, it's gone. Right. It was a good nap, an hour later, it's gone. Right. Beautiful trip, and a week later, I don't even remember it. Right. So we have tainug hanifsakim. Our pleasures stop. They're interrupted. They're very finite, and they don't go past a certain amount of time. That's the nature of pleasure in our world. Abul, however, hata'anugim hanafshi'im heim timidi'im. Spiritual pleasure is endless. Is endless. Omdim lo'ad, it stands and it endures forever. Ve'enam nivsakim, and it never stops. Now, if you translate that into the physical world, we would get sick of that in a short period of time. Too much pleasure, after a while, you get sick. So it's completely different than our world. So the spiritual world, it's ongoing, never-stopping spiritual pleasure, and it keeps getting greater and greater and greater, and there's no end to it. We don't know what that means. All of our pleasures are temporal. The spiritual pleasure, which is timidi, enduring, and the physical pleasure, which is temporal and temporary, there's no relationship between them. They're not related at all. And for those people amongst us who are knowledgeable in Torah, and not even amongst the lofty non-Jewish philosophers, Shenomar, no one would say, now he's going to say something that to us is going to be astounding, that angels, that part is not astounding, no one would say, that angels, stars, and planets don't have pleasure. 
Okay, no, I can imagine a Malach having pleasure. I have no idea what it means that a star and a planet have pleasure. The Rambam says that's Pashat. Right, amongst those who are Baalei Torah and who are philosophers, they understand that the stars and the planets, like the angels, have pleasure. They have tremendous pleasure. In that they get to understand a little bit about Hashem's true, true being. They get a little bit more than we do. They have a greater understanding of a Kaddish Baruch than we do. God is incomprehensible to all beings, including angels. But they understand a little bit more. Now, if you take a look, you're trying to figure out what is this saying, right? So next time you open a sitter, in Birchos Kriyashma, both during the week and on Shabbos, look at the first bracha of Yotzer HaMa'oros. The very first bracha in Birchos Kriyashma talks about the stars, the planet, the sun, the moon. They're all in a state of praise to Hashem. They're praising God. That's not poetic language. That really means they are. So the Rambam says, oh yeah, now we understand, right, we say it every day, that the Rambam, that the stars and the planets that praise Hashem. Mm-hmm. So these uh, heavenly bodies, the ones that we see out there, and the spiritual ones that we don't see, the Malachim, they're in this state of perpetual Tainug of Hashem. The sun is doing its thing out there, and the moon is, you know, orbiting the earth out there, and while it's doing that, it's in this state of owning. It's serving God, and it knows it's serving God. That's what the Rambam says. Vein tanu gufani etzlam. They don't have physical pleasure. Vein no so they don't even know what physical pleasure is. Lefisha'in lohem chushim kamonu. They don't have senses like we do. To understand the world in a sensual way that's beyond them. So too with us. When we become fully purified from our physical self. And we rise to that level after we die. When our nisham is released from our body, we also will no longer relate to physical pleasure. When the person goes up to God, up there in Shemaim, Olaman Nishamos, physical pleasure will become irrelevant. Now it's all about spiritual pleasure. We won't even know what it is when we get there. We won't even want physical pleasure in that world. Now he gives another mushal, and we'll start, we'll, we'll conclude with this. So do you think that the king, who is the leader of the whole country, and has all this power, and all this authority, and all this knowledge, and all, anything he wants is at his fingertip. Do you think that he wants to step down from his perch as king and go play ball in the streets of the city to have a good time? Do you think the king wants to do that? He's the king. He's on to much bigger and greater things than playing ball in the alley like he did when he was a kid. The Rambam says that. Yes, there was a time in the king's life when he enjoyed playing ball in the alley with the guys more so than he enjoyed being royalty. Yeah, there was a time in his life when he was 16. You know? He liked that. But that was a long time ago. This is when he was young. When he didn't know that there was a real distinction between playing ball in the alley, in the park, and between that and Malchus. He didn't get that when he was 16. 
just like we here in our world, we elevate physical pleasure over spiritual pleasure. We pay more attention to physical pleasure because that's what we know, that's what we live in, that's what we're familiar with. We don't understand ruchniyastika pleasure, but once we're there, everything that's here will become meaningless. We won't have any relationship to it. In the place, in the face of spiritual onik. So we're getting a few little hints from the Rambam about olam haba. It's spiritual pleasure. It's non-ending. It's completely different than pleasure in our world. Now, that's already a little bit of an insight, and it's infinite. Now, the, the part about the stars and the planets, one thought about it. The Svorim HaKadoshim say, the Ramchal says, that in addition to the physical planets that we see out there, the sun, the moon, the stars, they also have a spiritual identity, so to speak, behind them. It's like they are a mask for a spiritual power in the world. It could very well be that the Ramam is referring to that, which the later Sforim talk about in that way. The sun praises Hashem, there's a spiritual sun in addition to the physical sun. So the physical sun does praise Hashem by doing what it's supposed to do as a sun, which is a lot for the universe and for us and for our own life. It, it gives us life. So even the physical sun, by its being and by its function, that's praise of Hashem. That's what it does every second of the day. But there's also a ruchniyastik of force which is behind that sun. You could call it a malach. It's similar to a malach. And it governs the sun just like everything else in the world has something behind it that governs it. That the Chachamim say not even a blade of grass grows without a malach tapping it and says grow. There's a spiritual force behind it. So possibly the Ramam is referring to that as opposed to the actual physical sun. But if we take his words at face value, which maybe we shouldn't do based on what he told us before, <laughs> then he means the actual physical planet itself. Okay, yes, Gail, please. I just want to encourage everyone to see this movie about Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it was excellent. It was very, it was really good. Um, he was asking, That was excellent. Yeah. Um, I think you can buy it now. They were they were selling the, the video last night, right? Yeah, you can buy it. Legacy Foundation. Okay. I think you could rent it online. You can rent it. You can buy it. Right. They're starting to distribute it now. It was very inspiring. Yeah. He, um, at the very end of the movie um, last night, they were showing the credits, and as they showed the credits. On the other side of the screen, there were a few little excerpts from the talks that he gave. The video had many excerpts from um, actual talks that he gave, and very beautiful and stirring. So the last, one of the last ones, he said, if you ever hear somebody saying that they're doing something on principle, they're about to do something very, very bad. <laughs> so if you do it because it's right, not because I don't really want to do this, but on principle I have to. He said, watch out for that. That's bad. I love that line. I've encountered that many times. 